0: Every day, hundreds of thousands of us are building a future we can all be proud of. For over 36 years, the growth CBUS MySuper investment option has returned an average of 8.98% per annum for its members, while investing in projects that not only create jobs, but a better future. CBUS, for all of us. To consider if Cbus is right for you, go to CBusSuper.com.au for a PDS. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word story time. Adam Collins with you, Jeff Lemon with me as we do it all again for another week. We gallop through the history of our great Game. We have a lot to share with you this week. Before we go there, though, I'll, I'll just uh, remind anyone who, uh, who is just dropping into story time but not necessarily li- listening to the weekly show that we had a beautiful conversation with Ellie Aldroyd um, a couple of days ago, which is already there in the feed. And given Ellie loves story time, it's her preferred way of consuming uh, the final word, it'll be a nice thing to, after taking this in, maybe going back in the feed and listening to her and she'll tell you all about why this is such a fun part of her weekend.
1: Hello, Adam. We like hanging out with Ellie Aldroid, So
0: that's pretty much
1: what the show was, just hanging out with Ellie Aldroid. I quite enjoyed that, you know, the IPL had just been cancelled and we were like, yeah, whatever, we'll mention it. But, you know, let's, let's get on with um, what we actually wanted to do. Everyone else was talking about it. There was, There's was no point having more people talking about the thing that everyone else is already talking about, um, as opposed to what we do on Storytime, which is definitely us talking about things that nobody else is talking about. And <laughs> (laughs) That's that's pretty much the the reason for the existence of this show.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd imagine that people tuning in today might think, oh, they might just do a bit off the top about Stuart McGill and what happened with the breaking news with him on Wednesday and given we didn't get a chance to address that on the weekly show, given that it sort of happened the next night. But no, that's not the place for this. That's not the place for talking about the IPL either. That all happens later. Here we talk about the history of our game Mm. and, and we bust some myths along the way.
1: I will say, um, I I hope that Stuart McGill's okay because bloody hell, like, you know, having it happen is one thing, but then having the story break and suddenly everybody's talking about an awful traumatic thing that happened to you would be, like, reliving it all over again. So, you know, he's uh, been a guest on the show and someone we loved having with us and, you know, someone who we valued a lot in that interview. So, you know, sending our best to SCG McGill and hope that he's uh, getting through it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yeah, it feels a bit glib to move straight on to the next part of the show, but that's what we'll do. We'll have to power on. We like to bust the myths on the final word, and one of those came up via Abhilash Singh's number of 258. Now, I thought we would start here this week before going through the usual pattern because mm-hmm. this has had more bits to it than we necessarily thought. That's right. So 258 was the cap number of Ishant Sharma.
1: And Abhilash Singh wanted us to link this to the fact that Ishant Sharma had supposedly dropped catches from three players who then went on to make enormous scores Michael Clark's triple hundred, Brendan McCullum's triple hundred, and Alistair Cook's 294. The thing that we've turned up was that it seems very unlikely that it actually happened. In the Alistair Cook innings. So it did happen in the other two, but pinging Ishant Sharma with three of those misses seemed unfair. And I did ask if any listeners could check this out. Mel Shorley, one of our listeners, has been doing the research during the week and has reported back to say that while Cook was probably not dropped during the 294, he was dropped by Ishant Sharma during an innings of 190 in Calcutta, in 2012 ah. and it was it was Ishan Sharma it was a court and bowl chance which the other two were as well so they were all off Ishan's own bowling and which was the other thing that that tied them together ah. so that makes it seem like that's the drop that people are thinking of and Cook did go on to a big score the thing is that he didn't add that many runs after the drop because he was on 156 when dropped so you know yeah ideally you don't want a a player to make 34 more runs because that can be another substantial partnership and all the rest of it. But it wasn't like, you know, he got dropped on 10 and made 300. So with this having happened in another innings, maybe people have portmanteaued the the two Cook innings and put the drop in the wrong one.
0: Yeah, I think that sounds about right. The sort of thing where over time uh, it's a better story and mm. thus only appropriate, that's how it ended up on our show and, and now we've, Arrived where it probably really was, but nevertheless, thanks to Abhilash Singh for sending us down that path over the last few weeks. It's been a lot of fun. So an early confirmation there that we did have 258 right Ishant Sharma's cap number. Jeff, something else that we did last week. We talked to Sam Ashworth off the top about his cap project, and we said we had another similar, similarly themed uh, nerdy. Uh, nuggets to to throw in early this week. And that's what we might do here. I I had a chat with uh, Rob Kingston uh, this morning, who has been diligently uh, working on some spreadsheets through the last lockdown. And here is his story. Now, Rob, you dropped into our DMs a couple of weeks ago and explained that you've been inspired somewhat uh, through the second or maybe the third lockdown. I forget what lockdown we were up to in February. And you have undertaken a mighty task, which is a thoroughly befitting of, of celebration on story time. Rob, hello. Hi. Thanks for being with us today. Can you just try and explain what it is you're up to in February and March this year? And we'll drill down a bit as we go.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, I'd like to start off by saying you call it a mighty task. I was listening to last week's show when you were talking to Sam. And then you kind of gave me the big teaser ahead of this week's show and I got almost got cold feet because I mean his thing was genuinely mighty and actually had some utility. compared comparatively my thing seems kind of tawdry and pointless. But basically it was um it was inspired by a tweet in February time when I was just sitting at home working on uh my masters uh during a pretty kind of particularly turgid phase of an essay that I just didn't really enjoy. And the B I think it was a test match special Twitter challenged its followers to come up with an 11 whose batting order was also alphabetical. And some mm. guy in the responses had, <laughs> had put together an 11 where Zahir Abbas was the opener and Muhammad Aziruddin was number 11. And I thought, oh, that's pretty <laughs> funny, it's all A's. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I should have taken that guy's name down and, and given him some credit because he, I mean, he walked so this stupid thing could run. Mm. But basically, I, uh, on the day I was like, let's see if I can come up with a, an 11 for B because the A11 actually looked pretty amazing when he rearranged it to be a sensible batting order. I mean, it had like Curly Ambrose, James Anderson, Wesley Akram, and, and that's, you know, pretty tasty stuff. I thought there's no way any other letters could put together a team of that quality. And then the Bs turned out to be you know, equally as strong. And I kept going through the alphabet until, you know, two and a half hours of what should have been quite valuable study time later. I had this whole spreadsheet of 24 teams. I didn't manage to get an X team together. And I merged the Q's and the Z's because of uh, lack of viable options. And at the end of that, you know, that should have been enough for any kind of cricket obsessive. But I thought, rather than rather than go back to real life, I want to see (laughs) see what I can do with this. And uh, I opened up Cricket Cats in 2019. And they have this custom match engine where you can choose from, like, 7,000 different players, including all 3,000 on whatever test cricketers of all time. And so I <laughs> took, I took, I took two random, So I think it was the A's and the B's I did the kind of pilot match with. And I set the game up and I simulated it. I didn't, but I didn't, I didn't take the reins because I think the team that had me as captain would have been at a serious disadvantage if I'd done that. And, it, you know, the scorecards came out and I kind of poured over it and I thought, wow, this is, uh, bizarrely kind of compelling. So, uh, you know, And a thought hit me, I thought, well if I keep going with this, I don't really have to think about the kind of boring and difficult thing I was doing beforehand. So I put it together into a kind of tournament where I quote unquote seeded the teams into three groups of eight, although looking back on it there seems to be no rhyme or reason to the seeds and some groups are way tougher than others. And I thought, right, I'll 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 have them play around, Robin, and then go f- through to quarterfinals, like uh, a bit like <laughs> last season's bit like last season Bob Willis. And um, I did the first game, and I set up a spreadsheet to put the stats in, and take it. I, th- I took my cue from the the kind of season averages that you see in Wisdom. So I had the it, it's it's in that format of uh, mm. listings, and I put the stats in from the first game. And I thought, wow, I could have a I could have quite a you know. Pointless but interesting document here. If I if I if I stick with this, then by the end of the, about the fifth game, I thought, oh, this is going to eat up more more of my time than I'd anticipated, because rather than rather than kind of scale back on the extent of the statistical record, I thought, no, I've started this way, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna record.
0: Tested <laughs> so, every stat. I mean, that's, that's again, it's the can't stop, won't stop attitude that we take. Oh my, show, yeah, totally, totally. Which, I mean, and, and I love the idea that you, you were, I mean, you, you run the test balloon A's versus B's or whatever it is. And you're like, oh, <laughs> fuck it, I'm going to run every single game and take down the stats from every. I mean, give us a sense of the amount of time this took. Because if you're inputting the data by hand on each game, yeah. Yeah. Uh, i'm, I'm I mean, I've seen some of these uh these spreadsheets in their final form they're quite intricate i mean this must have taken ages
2: yeah, it did and i mean i'm sure I'm sure some people may uh get in touch and tell me that how I could have done it better, but i'm completely tech illiterate, so yeah, I just took a screenshot of the of the scorecards and literally kind of manually input every number into an excel spreadsheet, and each game i'd say. Probably took between five and 10 minutes to set up the teams on Cricket Captain anyway, because mm. I, I'm sure there's a way you can, but I don't know how to <laughs> save custom 11s for future use. So I had to start fresh every time. So it took yeah five, 10 minutes to do that. Simming the game was, you know, took, and it was done in an instant. And then, uh, probably per game, like uh, half an hour, 40 minutes maybe to do the whole thing. And there were, uh, what, seven, I think I worked out that the entire thing start to finish, I think the final was the
0: 63rd game of this. Longer, the after- than the, longer than the actual World Cup conference. <laughs> yeah. And, and what was your, and what did you find in terms of who which team, who were the teams that, say, made the semifinals?
2: The Ws were beaten by Bs in the first semi. Well, actually, no, that was a draw. And for some reason, I decided that the tiebreaker should be the first innings, which, as a Somerset fan, brought back painful memories of Bob Willis. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the Bs, I mean, the Bs were just kind of grimly, predictably... Amazing because well, Bradman, whose giant shadow just kind of <laughs> yeah, just blotted out everything as usual. He was leading run scorer by a massive margin. But the bees, I mean, as as Jeff said in the, in his response to my first email, the bees are a team of shithouses, and they're the people you'd root against. I mean, boycott, Boone, Bradman, Barrington, Border, Botham, <laughs> Boucher, Benno, Broad, Trent Bolt, and then Bishop and Betty. And I thought, well. Stuart Broad is kind of the shrinking violet of that team, <laughs> which says something. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, the the other semi, S H by 97 runs. I mean, there were, I was hoping there might be a few more upsets, really. I mean, those, those letters, God, this probably sounds completely absurd to me if you aren't looking at this document. Those letters were by and large the stronger sides. Like the Hs have a, have a beautifully kind of, you know, black and white uh, sort of legendary 11. I mean, Matthew Hayden opens up with Jack Hobbs, Len Hutton. Wally Hammond and George Headley which I think is quite a beautiful top five I wish she had and found
0: like, room in the H's for Ian Buckles and uh, Dot Cotton that one <laughs> might be a bit, <laughs> a bit um, to those who are listening in Australia but anyway <laughs> <laughs>
2: well I mean that, yeah that, the, it, it was you know there, there is there is entertainment to be had by kind of trying to compile amazing 11s out of I don't know what you call like the jock letters like B&A where they just come up with amazing teams but the, the true joy I found was uh Was compiling the kind of lesser 11s out of letters that you really had. I mean, the letters basically that I had to refer to stats guru to find enough players whose names began with this. The first of those was E, which has a reasonable, if kind of quirky, batting lineup. John Edridge, Dean Elgar, Bill Edridge, Dean Edgar, Farouk Engineer, and Mark Elam at six. But the bowling attack is a thing of uh, kind of insane beauty. I mean, you got John Embry and Phil Edmonds as as twin spinners, and I gave I gave Embry Embury the captain's arm band, which I don't know, and I think Edmonds might bristle at that. But then uh, the the seam attack of Fidel Edwards, Shaminda Iranga, and Mark Elam, which I mean, would
0: <laughs> we talk about we talk about our dream dinner parties? I mean, Mark elam has got to be in some on that front. <laughs> I think he's your number six, uh, and your and your third seamer. He's doing a lot of heavy lifting there in the yeah.
2: Well, you say third seamer. I mean, I looked at Shaminda Iranga, who is not a guy who's. Over, I was familiar with, but I mean his numbers are seriously kind of Sri Lankan Seema, who isn't Chaminda Vars. So I think he took like eighty wickets at thirty nine or something. <laughs> but yeah, and then I mean the, the vowels apart from A, the vowels were pretty tricky to put together. The eyes, for example, have a great top four of uh, Tammy McBell, Naffy Sikk Bell, Afie Bell, and Fighter <laughs> Bell. And then uh, Ikin, who's fir- the guy Ikin, whose first name I forget, and then Doug Insole at six, Raylingworth <laughs> R- Ray captain seven and the wicket keeper again wicket keepers are a tricky one because i mean they are in many cases the kind of the real dark horse of the team uh, an indian blight an indian guy who and i apologize in advance for this pronunciation Indrajit sinji who uh, i think played a few test matches in the in the, in the 50s he's at seven then mark Eilert, alan Eagleston, and Bert ironmonger finishing that one off and i'm not sure they did too well i'm just looking at the thing as sort of making remarks and I see them now but the, the, the team that really uh, disappointed were the R's who had like possibly the strongest top six in the thing I mean Mark Richardson opened up then Barry Richards Viv Richards Richie Richardson Ajinka Rahane Joe Root and Dennis mm, Ramdin. A yeah. bowling attack of uh, Andy Roberts Kimar Roach Kegiso Rabada and Sonny Ramadan. right you'd think they, yeah you'd, you'd think they'd go deep right I think they won one game in the whole thing <laughs> and that was against one of the real dog shit sides who did like they, they beat the Qs and Zs, something like that. Uh, no, they beat the Js, actually, Surprisingly, who are actually, you know, kind of handy. They lost to the Us, who were, again, the Us were kind of a surprise package because they, uh, <laughs> yeah, I really, I really had to dig deep to find enough people with U as a surname. And I also had to treat the kind of, I don't know what you call it, the little prefix subname in Inzimamal hack and hack as the first letter of their surname just so they had a batting order. But there's Qasim Umar, Taufik Kumar, George Ulyas, Polly Umrigar, Inzi, Misbah, and a guy called Atik Uz-Zaman, who's a pac- who paid one test as a Pakistani wicketkeeper, and who basically saved the youths from liquidation because I had this rule where I thought they better all be test cricketers, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to find them on the Cricket Cats and database. But yeah, I mean, and, and another, another thing I realized as I was going through it, I became more interested in imagining how these teams would get on off the field than on it because, I mean, some of, the, some of the groups of guys are pretty eclectic. And I thought, for example, I mean, imagine how David Gower, WG Grace and Graham Gooch would get on behind, you know, in the bubble, for example.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rob, this is proof that the vagaries of cricket extend from on field to off and yeah. the passion of uh, people that listen to our show has really no end thank you for taking us through that final question who won we we said who was in the semi-finals who who was triumphant
2: sadly everyone's least favorite bees
0: The bees with bradman, bradman bradman leading the wicket. Who, who, who led who led the wickets he led the runs the runs bradman comfortably
2: he uh 1261 runs at 105 and stop his it teammate, his, his teammate boone got was the only other four figure bats, and he got 1,076 at 82. Yeah, like I say, not too many uh upsets. The bowling I've, I've, I've arranged it is in averages, that I do in wisdom, but the, the leading wicket taker was Bishan Bedi again, so the B is really really dominated. But I mean, look, just a cursory glance at the stats. Some of the I mean, underwood in Derek Underwood in a kind of flawed U team absolutely shone. He got he took 52 wickets, and obviously, they only played the seven. Seven group game, and then podcasting world legend Aubrey Faulkner. Who is a is Jared Kimber, <laughs> who's really obsessed with in yes, him. Yes, right?
0: Jared wrote the definitive Aubrey Faulkner.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, Aubrey. I mean, Aubrey. You know, he did the business. I mean, the S didn't do too well, but he uh he's fifth in the batting averages with six hundred and four at sixty-seven. And then he took. I can't find him he's somewhere down the bowling, but he took like forty wickets, at about twenty-eight. So yeah, good old Aubrey.
0: Yeah, broadly in keeping with his uh, actual uh, real life career.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, his isn't he the only? test cricketer in history to have a batting average over 40 and a bowling under
0: 30. Yeah, his overall figures are ridiculous and uh, was the sort of standard bearer for that team at the time that he was playing before he passed away. Uh, Rob, for coming on to the show and really embracing the spirit of The Final Word story time, uh, thanks for sharing what you've been up to over the last couple of months. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on. It's been
2: a a real thrill. Cheers.
1: I'm Glenn Maxwell. Make sure you listen to my favourite podcast, The Final Word
0: Thanks again to Rob. That was fantastic. Really enjoyed his company, having a chat down the Zoom screen. We will put in the show notes his blog link. Uh, Rob said that he's been wanting to start a blog for a really long time and this was the, uh, the catalyst for that, the work that he's done. So he's called it his Alphabet Challenge uh, and you will be able to pick it up and look at all the scorecards and all the spreadsheets there at the link I'll drop in now.
1: And obviously,
0: for that ridiculous effort, Rob Kingston
1: is our Cbus Super Performer of the Week. Much like his made-up batting characters, Seabus goes into bat for their members. You can visit cbussuper.com.au/ slash the final word today. If you've ever wanted to go to a superannuation website and see cartoons of us on the landing page, if that makes you feel better about addressing your super, then great. Great, because that is a thing that we can do for you. That is a very specific service we can offer. You can get a PDS, which will help you decide if CBUS Super is right for you, and you can remember that past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance.
0: Beautifully done, Jeff. Yes, I, I like the idea that someone making a, a massive financial decision about sorting their Super ad is going to see a photo mm-hmm. of you and me. Not even a photo, a caricature of you and me. And go, this is <laughs> the day I will do it. But it should be, because it's a day point waiting. That's a good thing to get sorted out. I just think it
1: might be calming, you know, because, because financial...
0: Decisions are scary, even if they're not
1: bad ones. Like having some money when you retire, they're intimidating. People put them off for years and years and years. And so, you know, maybe if maybe there are a couple of uh, friendly, drawn faces by the very lovely artist David Squires, then maybe that makes you feel more like
0: doing it. All right, Jeff. After a long intro this week, we're finally into the meat and veg of our show. How do we do that? Mm-hmm. Nerd plan. Nerd
1: Pledge. It is a game. It is a game that initially we started playing with people on our Patreon page uh, because they were using this game to support the show by sending contributions to the show, but not normal amounts of currency that they were sending, but very specific numbers, very specific numbers, and the numbers had some link to cricket in some way, and we didn't know what the link was, but we had to work it out. That's how the game started. And that is how the game continues to be played as nerd pledges come in week after week and we look at
0: them on this show. Well explained, Jeff. The first of those this week is a beauty, an absolute beauty. So 906 from Basab Majumdar, it comes with a clue. Basab says, a decade when modern Indian cricket was born, 906 is a mix of five numbers. As a collective, they refer to, let's say, a classical musical ensemble of some kind. And Indian cricket classics, they are. Now, it's a cryptic clue. A lot of detail there, Jeff, but I know you spent quite a bit of time this week getting to the bottom of it. 906,
1: Basab Modrumda. Yeah, when I saw this clue, I had a pretty good feeling immediately Uh, about what it would be but it meant that I had to do a lot of research into this because it was very interesting and so I I, when I say I had to I mean I just did you know I kept (laughs) I kept putting off recording the show because I was like I need another day to just keep reading about what's going on with this particular answer so let me put the number together for you first 906 combination of five numbers We have 266 test wickets taken by Bishan Bedi, 242 for Bhagwath Chandrasekhar, 189 for Arapali Prasanna, 156 for Srinivas Venkataragavan. Now, these four are the famous spin quartet that bowled for India through the 60s and 70s last century and if we add up the total of all of their wickets uh, it still leaves us 53 short of the 906 so we need a fifth number in there but if we add in Chandu Borde, who was an all rounder of the same era and who played with each of those spinners in various teams and who was also a spinner himself, an all rounder who bowled leg spin, he took 52 wickets, not 53 wickets. So I think that Basab might have – I reckon Basab's done this by memory because, you know, he has a great fondness for these numbers and has thought Chandu Waterday took 53 wickets, actually 52. So the number should have been 905. But not – you know, no criticism there. That's fine. You can do it by memory because I'm confident that that's close enough, that this is going to be correct.
0: Yeah right. uh, You you're uh, happy with it so far? I, I think I am I, I note that the last time That you thought that somebody May have made a typographical error In their number It was um, me It was you So I, yep. I'll I'll add that <laughs> caveat But I'm willing to go with it But Sub's been a dependable correspondent In uh, in recent times So I'm sure he'll let us know If you've got it wrong And we can come back to it next week But let's work on the assumption That, we, that you have got it right And, and mm. go into a bit more depth Shall we About the, the five men You've just referenced
1: well yeah there there's no one else who would fit in as a 53 so and and bordeaux fits perfectly mm. as as a 52 and you know one number off I, I I think we're pretty confident so right we've got four spinners and having four spinners around a test team is is pretty fun just to begin with and then you've got the variation the the different kinds of spinners so Prasanna was an off spinner who played first in 1962 played a couple of matches and then didn't play again for about five years and and came back into the team around the time that the others were all there as well so he was a short off spinner who used lots of flight and he's described as a a spinner who who owned the air above the pitch the air above the the batter's eye line that was that belongs to Prasanna, so he threw the ball up there,
0: yeah. And he was a real thinker around the game. Prasanna uh, Gavin Robertson told us a fantastic story on the greatest season it was, uh, mini series we made around the India Australia rivalry. When he was playing in India in 1998, Prasanna pulled into one side of the dinner and said, You're getting it all wrong, you're bowling too slowly in India, you need to bowl more quickly. Add to your run up. And Gavin Robertson Thought about this At the top of his run up After taking some tap In the second Test match And just added A couple of extra steps There and then (laughs) No coaching to it Just on the back Of a conversation That he'd had With this former Indian spinner And the rest is history It went really well For him thereafter I think it might have been The second Mm. innings Of the first Test match Where he took wickets Whatever it was It was a turning point For him As an Australian bowler On that tour Because yeah Prasana Wasn't just a great bowler But he Yes, he thought about the game deeply. Mm. Yeah, so his whole thing was beat them in the air.
1: You know, the air belongs to me. I'm a, I'm a spinner. That was his approach. Chandra was a leg spin bowler and he's the one who you know famously had his right arm damaged in childhood by a polio infection and he managed to turn that into a virtue because his arm was thinner he he was able to really whip his arm through and he added a lot of speed more speed than you'd expect from a leg break bowler so he could shred the ball through and he could also throw it up and, and slow it down and that gave him more variety and more ability to beat players on the back foot and get the ball through them before they expected it so So the thing I discovered that I enjoyed most about Chandrasekhar was that he said, I need a slip and I need two short legs. And aside from that, it doesn't matter where you put the rest of the fielders. Uh, his theory was if I'm bowling well, I'll get the wickets in those three positions. Yeah. And if I'm bowling badly, it doesn't matter where they are. I'll be smashed.
0: So, yeah, it was like, as long as I've got those three, I'm all good. Yeah, real contrast to all the debate we have around whether spinners should have a deep point or not. This is the very opposite. It's like, well, fuck it. You give me what I need, the rest don't matter. Yep, the rest don't matter.
1: Venkat was also an off spinner like Prasanna but very different type he was a lot taller um, generally faster through the air more about using bounce and, and accuracy in that manner of the the taller spinners that we see um, getting around like Habajan Singh I imagine that kind of type and then Bishan Bedi was the left arm orthodox spinner so he was the last to debut in 1966 but he would go on to be the most prolific and play the most test matches, uh, captained India and took the most wickets. So it, he's described really nicely by Mike Brearley, who wrote in Wisden about... Beatty saying, uh, more than with any other slow bowler, beautiful is the word that stays. Beatty was one of those athletes whose athleticism was expressed almost exclusively in what he did best. A few easy rhythmic steps, perfectly balanced, and he moved smoothly into the delivery stride. There was no sense of striving, nothing rushed or snatched, no hiccups, just an easy flow. This is a guy who once bowled 12 overs and conceded six runs in a one-day international (laughs)
0: Brilliant. And it's kind of a it's kind of a reminder as well that the way that spinners approached the crease was fundamentally different until mm. the modern era. I remember talking to a bowling coach about this once with wrist spinners. He said that shame worn Ruined it for everybody in a lot of ways But not least with run-ups Because Warne was so strong through the shoulders And had such massive hands when he got to the crease That the ball just sat so nicely in He didn't really need to bounce to the crease And so mm. many leg spinners have tried to replicate Warren And they didn't have that power in that final step yeah. They needed to actually run in or bounce in at the very least And that's now no. de rigue You don't see many spinners really walk to the crease Matt Parkinson, the, the England leggy that's playing at the moment Is probably the most like Warren And he bowls quite slowly through the air Air. whereas back then you look at tapes of cricket series of yesteryear I was watching a I think I mentioned to you Jeff I watched a documentary about cricket in the 50s from England a couple of weeks ago and that's exactly how spinners went about it it was a walk mm. to the crease and it was all about what they did with their fingers at the last minute and it was very slow through the air and I suppose that was the the joy and the beauty that that Bruelly uh, describing there yeah some of the you know the kind of Abdul Qadir run in at a, at a crazy
1: angle or even Stuart McGill who we were talking about before who you know, seem to come in off a of medium paces run up when you were mm-hmm. used to watching Shane Warne. So those are the you know, the main four Prasanna, Chandrasekhar, Venkat and Beatty. They're the they're the you know, the four big guns. And they they all came together under the Nawab of Petaudi. Tiger. too. <laughs> the uh, the younger <laughs> the Nawab of Patowdy to colon the quickening who who was captaining India at the at the time.
0: I, I know I've said it, I know I've said it before, but whenever we think of Tiger Patowdy, all I think about is the Billy Birmingham CD for Bill Laurie, This is your life when he's interviewed on the show and he goes, "Fuck you, fuck your country, and I hope you have a shit night." <laughs> 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 His parting words to Bill Laurie when brought on as a guest. <laughs> uh, well, you know, maybe there was
1: something in that, um, but the. the The Nawab Mark II had no fast bowling, basically, and decided that rather than pick ordinary fast bowlers with a couple of good spinners, if your best bowlers are spinners, just pick them, just pick them all. A bit like Clive Lloyd doing the opposite in the West Indies, saying, well, why bother picking a spinner who's not as good as a fourth fast bowler if we can have one? So this was the idea. They all came together in the squad when the West Indies toured India in 1966 and they all played in that series, but mixing and matching, so only three of them in the side at any one time. There's actually only one test match ever where they all four played in the same test side, and that was in 1967 in Manchester. They did really well. They took 19 wickets between them, bowled England out pretty cheaply twice, and didn't have the batting support, so they still lost the test match. And so after that, it tended to be... Betty, the left arm orthodox Chandra, the leg spinner And then one of the two off spinners Even though they were very different kinds of off spinners So in different groupings of three They played a lot over the next decade So they won away series in the West Indies And in England in 1971 Which was massive for India I mean this was an Indian team That had won something like three tests Out of the last 70 plus that they'd played You know they weren't used to winning matches Chandra was a real match winner off the top of my head, I think it's I think it's sixteen five wicket hauls. Eight of them came in Test match wins. So he played in fourteen wins and took a five for in eight of those wins. So you know was it was a real match winning kind of player. And you know they won those away series. They won a stack of home series as well over that time. And also all four of them played on that amazing tour of Australia in 1977-78 when five test series, it was two all heading into the fifth and Australia managed to clinch the series late, but um, the Indian spinners had been so good throughout that series, Prasanna in particular. So those were the four and then alongside them, sort of at the, at the start of their journey, I suppose at least, was Chandu Bordadeh, who was the all-rounder. So he debuted a bit earlier in the late 50s, but played through until 1969 and didn't overlap with the bowling a lot. Um, he took the last of his wickets and bowled for the last time in 1965 because he'd wrecked his shoulder and couldn't really do it anymore. So, you know, he, he was pretty much done with bowling by the time the quartet got going, but he did have a key role in winning a series against England in 1962 which was the test match in which Prasanna had debuted. So there was that overlap with Bord. They kind of handing on the baton, as it were, to the next generation of spinners and and being able to stop bowling himself. So he was more a a batting player and, and he was famous at the time as India's best player of very fast bowling against the West Indies in particular. So those five combine them all, they get us to 905 which is close enough to 906 (laughs) for me to say that that is Basav Majumdar's number.
0: Good on you Basav and well done Jeff. a great way to start the show with a nice story there about a wonderful era of Indian cricket. Uh, Our second set of new numbers, a double header, 286 Alistair Townsend who was integral in getting Roberto Moretti on the show a few weeks ago to talk about Brazilian cricket, Alistair lives over there and Sean McGiven, uh, they've both sent through 286 Jeff, Alistair comes with a clue it reads as follows First to the party in his own home He wasn't the first player from his country to perform this feat It had previously occurred in 1991 But my player did it in a rain-affected day In a game during the first half of the 2000s So I think here he thought mm. it was the first time it had happened and he realised it actually happened in, in 1991 But nevertheless, that's the that's the framework It's a bit cryptic And I don't mm-hmm. think we've got mm-hmm. too far on this, have we?
1: Well I'd I'd like to start this communion with Alastair by saying that, you know, there are no endings, just beginnings. And and that, you know, this this is just the start of something, you know, this 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 clue, this number. <laughs> it can go on. Like Celine Dion's heart. But as an initial starting point, and, you know, we have to be frank about things, I spent quite a lot of time looking at Cricket matches from 1991 and cricket matches from the early 2000s. And I still have no fucking idea what is going on as yet. NFI as opposed to NFT, non fungible token. So uh, maybe you can sell this clue for like half a million dollars on something, something blockchain. Maybe, maybe. Uh, look, <laughs> we're going to continue with this. This is the point. But I wanted to initially steer it. To the crowd to say if you if you have yep you know some sort of inkling what might be going on you can you can you can throw us a hint and obviously you know we'll return to it but at the moment I'm kind of stumped on this
0: yeah and I think we sometimes when we're stumped we say we're going to come back to that next week and we don't mention it on the show. Uh, Other times Mm -hmm. we say, we don't know the answer to this. The crowd can help us out. This is the latter. So um, Mm -hmm. the clue again, first to the party in his own home. He wasn't the first player from his country to perform the feat. It had previously happened in 1991, but the player in question did it in a rain-affected game in the first half of the noughties. Thank you, Alistair. Next up, Sean McGiven, no clue, 286. You know what that means... It means that I'm going to
1: sing Metallica and put Sean McGiven in instead of Unforgiven? Is that what
0: it means? No, but better still. How about this? Yes, on the weekly show, Ellie Oldroy told us how she interviewed Chesney Hawks and he returns again after a couple of weeks off. Hello, Chesney, uh, Reading's favourite musician. The 286th test cricketer from England is the man that... I love when a number like this comes up, Jeff, When I see a number in sort of anywhere between about 240 and about 300, I'm like, this is in my hitting zone. Please be a cricketer <laughs> who's only played a handful of test matches for England. And that <laughs> was the case for a man by the name of Jim Sims. Jim Sims. <laughs> this, I, I, now, I know we've
1: never looked at Jim Sims in detail, but I think, I think he might have come up on the show before, just in passing, because I'm sure I remember having a conversation about how in Muriel's wedding, when Muriel pretends that she has a boyfriend um, and she's asked what his name is, she says Tim. And then uh, Rachel Griffith says, What's his last name? And she says, Sims. And she goes, His name is Tim Sims. And she's like, Yes. Um, and it's a very funny
0: scene in the show. So, Jim Sims, actually existed. Real guy. This will be a real test as to whether a friend of the show, Nick Tooby, is listening. He's our Muriel's wedding correspondent on the final word. So if he's listening, right. he'll doubtless respond with the WhatsApp. So Jim Sims was a tall wrist spinner. who His main trick, he had lots of variety. He had a A big nasty wronging, and And that was enough to get him four test matches between 1935 and 1937. That was in the middle of a a long Middlesex career that spanned um, 1929 to 1952. So he played for 23 years there at Lords. His debut, so his first test match, was at Leeds in 1935. He only took one wicket, but pretty hard to get on given that Hedley Verity was the main spinner. So uh, understandable Mm. that he didn't get too much of a bite that week. He then took seven wickets the next year when he got brought back into the team against India, At the Oval and it included his best Bowling in tests of five for 73 That was enough to get him on the plane To Australia in 1936-37 He played two test matches and The last of those Jeff was the Bradman Special, the the Melbourne test of Early 1937 where Of course Australia were 200 For nine declared after England were All out for 120 Or something like that on that famous sticky dog The rest day and then Bradman Goes bananas in the Australian second innings Actually it wasn't 130 odd it was a second declaration wasn't it England declare it mm. like 90 for 8 In order to get a second go yep. at Australia And they, they reverse the order And and Bradman comes in at number 7 and, and the rest is history really But yes in that second innings Which ended up being Still Jim... still the record score from number 7 isn't it? Yeah that yeah, two, oh, 270 certainly. Yeah certainly I mean Sims was Sims took plenty of tap But they all did really <laughs> As Bradman and <laughs> Fingleton went to work He actually got Fingleton out for 136 But Australia made 564 And and that was kind of <laughs> it for his His name's jim sims i
1: mean it's, it's just it's like south melbourne markets like covering me in soy sauce you know? the south oh, melbourne jim just- sim it's like a,
0: it's, it's a bigger version of more a more uh, yeah a, a bigger version of the of, of the dim sims the jim sims south melbourne style <laughs> so that's the end of the test career but it didn't really matter i don't think too much to Jimmy. he was a he was a friendly, happy, gay, lucky character. who was grateful to get the chance to, to play for England. Dennis Compton loved him and he wrote the obituary when he passed away, which we'll come to in a sec. But Compton said that uh, Sims referred to his wrongan as the old wassla. The old wassla was The uh, was, was, was what? The old wassla. That's what he called his wrongan. <laughs> Isn't that good?
1: Ah, ah, look, I know that like sometimes a criticism you could level at this show is that sometimes we you know, veer into dick jokes a bit too much. Being, you know, umpires Richard Illingworth and Kettleborough being Big Dick and Little Dick and so forth. But come on, if someone says they're whipping out the old Wozla, <laughs> there is only one thing that you think that that means. Like, even if you've never heard the word before, which I had not until about 30 seconds ago, you don't think that means anything else. Uh, oh, you think I should... Uh, we out the old Wozler, or oh, sixth over time to get the old wasler out. Oh. <laughs> what? Oh, he's playing a bit loose outside the off stump. Well, you, you <laughs> time to get the old Wozler. The out. old
0: Wozler. <laughs> no, <laughs> I suppose. I mean Nathan Lyon. Nathan Lyon named his um, named his. Uh Carronball, whatever it was, Jeff didn't he? All, all the way back when, yeah. I can imagine John Embry might have called his wrong, or might might have called his other one the old Wozler. But um, yes, yeah, so, so did so did uh, Jim Sims.
1: Just to distract them while you're running into bowls like Jason Gillespie <laughs> doing the seagull, arms. just run in with the old Wozler hat.
0: <laughs> What's that Eric Banner, that Eric Banner <laughs> album, Good for Football. No, it was called Out of Bounds, wasn't it? When um, Kent Butcher's on the mark for Collingwood. Kent Butcher's got his cock out. that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Eric Banner did have a career in uh, in comedy in Australia before he yeah. became the actor that uh, perhaps you you know him as if you're listening from anywhere outside of Melbourne. Right. So more Pointer. on Jim Sims. More on Jim Sims. When news breaks, Twitter is where the action is. <laughs> Sitting on the bonnet of a car outside Seven Eleven, eating a pineapple donut. <laughs> oh duh. Oh, we're in the bathwater here. Yeah. So. According to Dennis Compton, that is, my old friend Dennis, Mm -hmm. Jim Sims uh, spoke out the side of his mouth, which became infectious, infectious in that Middlesex dressing room. So that's what he would do. He would (laughs) talk out the side of his mouth and all the players started doing it with him. He was such a rare and endearing character, Compton said in the conclusion of the obituary, which I thought was nice. 1,581 first class wickets at 25. He took 100 wickets in a season 8 times In 1939 He had 159 wickets at 20 When the season reached To It's premature conclusion That was the most In the country As of course that, that being the year The Second World War Was declared So he has that stretch Out of the game But after the war He kept cracking on So in 1948 he took all ten wickets in an East versus West England game. Uh, not many people have taken all ten, but Jim Sims did. He took two hat tricks against, uh, and one of those was against the touring South Africans at Lords in 1947. And how's this for a late twist? When his career ends, a little bit down the track, he decides that he mm-hmm. wants to he wants to stay involved. So he becomes the Middlesex scorer. I mean, it's. It, <laughs> It's it's a fairly unlikely transition from being, from I mean we have a lot of dedicated scorers who listen to the final word, but I don't think mm-hmm. any of them were playing first class cricket and have been former Test cricketers and then on the tools on the pens and the rulers uh, during Wasler uh, was out <laughs> when he was doing the scorecards was it, what was the position of the old
1: Wasler? <laughs> Just dip it in the inkwell and then mark the card with
0: it. Well, I don't know know what the old Wozler was doing in the hotel room in Canterbury in 1973 where he (laughs) tragically had a heart attack the night before a county game and died at age 69. He was going to be scoring the next day. But, yes, he was England player... Two eight six, he was dusty old bastard Jim Sims. Wasler in, Wasler out. He had that Test cap, and obviously, it's pretty clear he left a pretty big impression on the game. So I'm glad we were able to tell his story today.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks, Jim. <laughs> Pour a little soy sauce out on the curb for you. <laughs> Good oh. uh, okay, we've got <laughs> we've got one more number. <laughs> We've got one more new number. It's a double header. It's coming in from Tim Harding and Alex Brown. And the number is. $3, dollars 3 Now, this might ordinarily not be a Nerd Pledge. Uh, it might be a Julio Pledge. And, you know, the Julio Pledges are those who, they're not interested in getting in the Nerd Business. They're just going to send a normal amount of currency. And I will say we have some Julios to uh, thank as well, but I'll, I'll do that next week because I'd like to dedicate a little bit of time to the Julios when it's their time to shine. So if you have Julio'd in, you know, the last couple of months and, and your name hasn't come up, that's when it will. But 3.00, in this case, in these two cases, we've been assured that it is a nerd pledge. It's a nerd pledge number. So it might mean 30, it might mean 300, it might mean three, uh, all kinds of things. But I think it's going to be the same answer for both players regardless, because I already know that Tim is a New Zealander because his previous number was relating to Richard Hadley's nine wickets in an innings. And Alex is a raging Kiwi who has had, a few goes at Nerd Pledge over the last couple of years and they've all been New Zealand numbers. Mm. And Alex said, time to make it a bit harder given that you already know it will be about New Zealand. So I know this is a New Zealand number and I think it'll be the same number for both rather than different numbers. This is is where I'm up to thus far. Okay. All that said, I've got no idea what the actual number is, (laughs) but here are some things. (laughs) I'm going to show my working. All right. So... 300. Old Wozler in or Old, old was, was, was out? Old <laughs> Wozler tucked to the left uh, discreetly <laughs> out of sight below the Zoom screen. Uh, don't want any of those New York Times type incidents um, on the final
0: word. I'll drop a tube um, and <laughs> not be doing that. <laughs> i
1: to invite baby John Burgess onto the show. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> you know, Let's compose ourselves here. Uh, three three hundred Three hundred is a famous New Zealand number in a way, by dint of never existing, because mm. it is as we've mentioned on the show before the number, the score that Martin Crowe never got. He got out for two hundred and ninety nine, and was haunted by it by his own admission for far longer than was healthy. You know, it was something that really caused him a lot of grief in his life that he had wanted to get that triple century and never did. And so when Brendan McCullum became the first New Zealander to score a triple century, it was a, a quite a cathartic moment for a lot of New Zealand supporters who you know, felt the angst that, that Martin Crowe had felt. So 300 was important in that sense. There have been three New Zealand bowlers to take 300 test wickets in Richard Hadley, Daniel Vittori and Tim Southey. Um, Hadley is one of very few players there are seven all up who took 300 wickets and scored 3000 runs he was at out, out of the you know the big four all rounders through the the 1980s he he got 300 wickets before imran khan and kapil dev but he got his 3000th run after those two and after ian botham so I don't think it's going to be that because that's not quite significant enough. Wally Hammond, when batting against New Zealand, went from 200 to 300 in 47 minutes. <laughs> that might be one of interest <laughs> to you, Adam, when he yes. scored a triple there. Fuck, um, really going for it. Now, if it were not 300 but 30, maybe the you know the incredible belting World Cup match in 2015 between Australia and New Zealand in Auckland, the, the key partnership for Australia in the first innings was when Brad Haddon and Pat Cummins put on 45 and Cummins made 7 runs but faced 30 balls and that was the partnership that set up that match, got Australia to 150 odd which um, New Zealand ended up getting their 9 wickets down So, you know, maybe that's pretty obscure, but I doubt it. New Zealand made exactly 300 in one-day internationals twice, both times in wins against India. Uh, One of those was last summer. The other one was quite interesting because it was in 1999 when – A sports betting enthusiast Chris Cairns made 115 off 80 balls made the best part of 121 off the last 10 overs in that game. He was a hell of a player when he was in full flight uh, Chris Cairns. So even though he got out in the 49th over they still made 121 off the last 10 Javagal Srinath took three wickets and batted at number six for India because I think Tendulkar was injured. Javagal Srinath batted at number six. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean... Did you see you the know, commercial
0: were... that he did this week? I'm not sure yeah, if it the commercial he was in, but Jared Kimber. Mm. Is it an IPL ad they were using this year? Perhaps it was, but it's worth yeah, yeah. it's worth looking it, up on Jarrett's. It's story. for a
1: credit card company with Javagal Srinath and Venkatesh Prasad leading a, a sort of boy band style Crooning exercise. It's quite good. Uh, good to see Venki getting some love out there. But yeah, Srinath at six wouldn't have happened very often. Chris Harris took four for Azaruddin. Muhammad Azaruddin was playing. He and Chris Cairns could have had some interesting conversations. <laughs> Tell you what, maybe maybe Arthur Cunningham could have got involved, <laughs> shared, shared a few ideas. Um, so, but you know, I, I don't think it's that. But then the last thing I've got that might actually be something is that. In 1982, New Zealand beat Australia in a test match in Auckland and uh, they were four or five wickets down, New Zealand chasing a, a small total in the fourth innings. They needed 104. Richard Hadley came out at the fall of the fifth wicket and after seeing out one ball, he smacked the second ball for six to win the game, meaning that he finished the match, the innings rather, with a strike rate of exactly 300. And I I think he hit the six off Bruce Yardley, the spinner, as best I can tell. But that, maybe that Richard Hadley strike rate of 300 might be the one that Tim Harding and Alex Brown are going for.
0: You've gone deep this week, Jeff. Uh, Between uh, what you did for 906 and what you've done for 300, you've been a busy boy. Uh, Thank you to Tim. Thank you to Alex. Thank you to all of our new pledges and everybody who signed up in the last couple of weeks. For whatever reason, the start of a new month uh, tends to generate quite a bit of activity. So great to have all the new people on board. If you want to be part of patron nerd pledge if you want to be part of really supporting the show enabling us to make this a couple of times a week do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash the final word it's fairly straightforward there in terms of issuing a nerd pledge we love making this show it's the best thing we do all week and it's uh yes it's the lifeblood of the final word so uh, jump on if you if you're on the fence if you're thinking about it one way or the other you can hit the, the link in the show notes at the moment and you get sent straight to the page and from there you can be part of what we do here um, Jeff, should we take a breather before moving on for some revisits and some confirmations and all the rest? I'm with you, Captain. Let's do it.
1: Hi, my name's Kate Cross, and you're listening to the final word with Adam and Jeff.
0: Jeff, we love working with the Lord's Taverners, and we love being responsible for good people doing. Good things, and that is the case with Declan Lawler, who is a patron of ours, who's decided to run the length of the Thames, the Thames Path, 185 miles of it, across four days in July, which is quite a remarkable thing. Last week, we talked about this and said that we should try and put put our shoulder to the wheel in helping with that fundraising effort between now and July, and then for whatever reason, Mm. the link didn't come up properly in the show notes, and... That wasn't ideal. We've rectified that. So in both last week's show notes and indeed this one as well, you can see mm-hmm. uh, his funding page. And I just think that's a lovely a lovely idea that he's heard us talking about the tabs over the last year or so and thought, how can I play my part in a year where it is still... Incredibly difficult to to fundraise over here for obvious reasons in terms of mass gatherings and all the rest of it. So uh, he's deciding to do an individual challenge and hopefully we'll raise plenty of money for the important work the Lord's Tabs do along the way.
1: I don't think if you added up all of the running that I've done in my entire life, you know, trying to catch a tram or like running, you know, really late for something, whatever, I I don't think it would equal 185 miles (laughs) in total. Beckon's going to do this in four days. Uh, for no reason except to raise some money for other people. What a maniac! Uh, good kind of maniac. But I, I love that Declan listened to the show and said, "Yeah, yeah, all right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna." It's not like anyone pitched this to him. He's just done it, you know, off his own bat, as it were. And now people. Be able to
0: benefit from the work he's going to do, so that's great. It's the equivalent of running four ultra marathons in the space of four days. I mean, an ultra marathon, yeah, it's about fifty mile, I think, from memory. So he's nearly running four ultra marathons in. Kins- I mean, that's that is a that is a punish, which means yeah. that there's a second part to this, Jeff. Hmm. He wants to find someone Or he, he's open to running with lots of people Of course, why wouldn't he be But he asked whether I can do some of the last leg with him Not not 50 mile, but some of the last leg with him Unfortunately I'm, I'm working on the 12th of July On a first class game And, and won't be able to, to get to London with him To see it through, but I think this could be quite nice. You must be shattered. You?
1: you must be really <laughs> devastated. Well, I have
0: been <laughs> running my, I, I have been running my four, my four kilometer loop around here on most mornings. Not when I'm feeling a bit poorly as I am today. But um, so I, I think I'm, I'm up for you know sort of five k's or something like that. But yeah, <laughs> if not not fifty, or not not fifty mile, which is a lot more than fifty k's. But yeah, I think it could be quite nice. Maybe if, if final word community members want to join yeah. Declan for part of this mission. It's, it's going from the 8th or the 12th of July, I think it is, something like that. So we can publish more information in the show notes along with the fundraising link. But yeah, if this is your thing, why not get involved as well?
1: You you can join him on the final leg on the twelfth. I suppose you could join him for more if you were really keen. Uh, but yeah, the the final leg is, is the one where it would be nicest to have some people running in to the you know the rapturous reception, or maybe a few people to greet him at the end. I'm not sure exactly where the end of the path is, uh, but what this can do uh, is raise money for young people in the UK and elsewhere, particularly young people who are living with disability or who are in disadvantaged situations. They're the kids that Lord's Taverners try to help with their uh, their cricket programs and, and other programs to basically try to cut down on the amount of, of isolation and loneliness that kids in these situations feel. They... Give them a social place to be, uh, help them, you know, build skills in socializing and uh, reduce their anxieties around it, and you know, give them an opportunity to make friends and have a place to be part of something—a broader community. It's an important suite of work that Lord's Tavs do and uh, these these kind of fundraising efforts are essential to them.
0: Yeah, and they've been doing so for seven decades. They're a remarkable charity. Uh, they play such a big role in so many parts of the game, uh, over here in the UK especially, but around the world as well. So um, this year, in the absence of those major fundraising events, they're encouraging people to get involved individually. So we, we spent a lot of time discussing that the equivalent of one cup of coffee per month can fund uh, one kid being in a program for a whole year, which is pretty cool but if mean, you can kind of up the ante this year for example, they're encouraging people in this uh, communal effort to uh, scale the Yorkshire Three Peaks or do the Glencoe to Ben Nevis Challenge or um, do the Deep to Peak Challenge, there's a number of these on the Lord's tabs website at the moment which will pop also in the show notes, so if you're inspired by what Declan's doing or inspired by the work of the Lord's Taverners, it's all there And um, visit lordstaverners.org and if you can throw a few Bob uh, Declan's way. I want to run with him on the 12th of July. That'd be brilliant as well. The final word in proud association with Lords Taverners.
2: Hi, I'm Isha Gua and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Geoff Levin.
0: Final word story time Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Our first revisit this week, Jeff. So these are the numbers, if you're new to the show, that we have got wrong and we return to to try and get right. Sam Litster sent through 201. Last week we talked about the other Jack Russell and the 201 he made for the MCC against South Australia in 1921 at Adelaide Oval. The clue was that it related to 201 and a two a game. Uh, and Sam said he loved the story, but we weren't quite right.
1: No, I enjoyed hearing about the other Jack Russell, uh, said Sam. The kind of story my wonderful late pop would have loved. But my 201 was actually a team score. Uh, your sleuthing, Adam, he says, is on the right track in terms of roughly working out his age, therefore his grandfather's likely age, therefore the approximate time frame. But he lets on that the match took place during an English tour to Australia and says, there is a connection my pop had to this game
0: that I'm pretty sure neither of your grandfathers would have. Yeah, and he's right, uh, a, a very strong connection at that. So, yeah, he's from good Queensland stock and he's 36 years of age. So, And I think the other clue was that his grandfather wasn't quite old enough to be there. In any case, it, it all all roads lead back to Bodyline and 1932-33. A very famous tour of Australia for England, perhaps the most famous. The Gabba tour game. Perhaps the most famous, definitely the most. Definitely the most famous, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. Sure, of course it is. Yeah. Why am I why am I why am I putting a caveat around it? The most famous no. tour that's no. ever no. been.
1: Arguably, my, my least favorite word in all sport reporting is arguably. And particularly when they say one of arguably one of the finest batsmen to have played. If you're saying one of, you don't need to say arguably. <laughs> Piss off with your equivocation. If you are one of you're already covered. No like yeah, you can argue anything. Arguably, like arguably. Covid is spread by five G. It's arguable. It's fucking stupid and it's wrong. All right. But It's arguable. You don't need to put arguably in there. That's all right. All. Got just, it. Let's go, it.
0: Let's go. Let's go. Full Wozler here. The most uh, important, significant, thank you, memorable yep. tour that England ever made of oh, Australia. Mm-hmm. Controversial, probably the best descriptor there. Yeah. There was a tour game at the Gabba in Queensland, of course, uh, which is where. Uh, Sam is from, where the MCC played just before the Brisbane Test match. So this is in in Mm -hmm. February 1933, just after the Adelaide Test, which was earlier in January, uh, where there was the Oldfield incident where the crowd erupted uh, and, well, they weren't protesting, but the the deafening booze that you read about from that particular controversial Test match. And looking closely at the scorecard of this tour game, Jeff, who batted number five for Queensland? None other than Lewis Litster. And he went on to top score as well. Against Larwood and Vos and Bose and co, he made 67 out of Queensland's 201 in the first innings, which is pretty cool. Um, it was one of, and I assume Lewis Litster must be, I mean, must be the grandfather of, of Sam, it stands to reason. Great, great, grand- well, great. Gra- no, sorry, great grandfather, you're right. Yes, that that's mm. better. So we, we're, we're working, yeah, the generations would be such that even though his grandfather may not have been born, his great-grandfather looks to be uh, Lewis Litster, who made uh, that top score in the innings of 201, Yeah, one of three half centuries he made uh, for Queensland as a right-handed batsman uh, starting in 1927. He also played the MCC in 1928 where he made 59, another one of his 50s. And that was at the exhibition ground, Jeff. So, of course, we've recorded the show from the exhibition ground before, which was where Bradman debuted in that summer of 1928-29. In 1933, though, he was out to Bill Bowes in that first innings and Hedley Verity in the second. So a couple of very handy names there. In the Cricketers Match Report, which I tracked down, it said that Lidster hit well But could get nobody to stay with him There was a curious incident during the innings Oxenham hit the ball to Allen's hands At short leg off Larwood But on appeal the umpire gave him not out As he stated that he was unsighted The other umpire did not give a decision So there was a catch at short leg straight off the bat and Because the umpire couldn't see Presumably because the bowler was mm. in the follow through That was enough to, to have the decision turned down I doubt we see that in modern cricket But yes it was uh, his great granddad who stood up to Harold Larwood and co and, and made 67 out of 201. We're, we're assuming great-grandad. It could be his great-uncle or something like that. I'm sure he'll let us know. But it's brilliant all the same. So uh, that's The Revisit, 201. Sam Litster, thank you it's got to be great granddad
1: because his his grandfather had a connection to it meaning that there must have been his father that's much cooler than i think my great grandfather tried to join up in the boer war and then ended up in jail for fraud so or maybe <laughs> stealing yeah there's there there's a much cooler great grandfather story you know my, my great my great
0: grandfather wasn't my great grandfather i'm pretty sure the story goes mm. that my great grandfather okay. was off at the war when his wife fell pregnant with my grandfather which means he couldn't have been there at the time his his brother was um, involved in in all that, so <laughs> that's all. Uh, Interesting. All, there's some family history for you. <laughs> <laughs> the judicious use of the old wasla. Yes. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I like it. Um, I, I like where it's gone. It's uh, the the umpiring thing does sort of ring true of the era that it was probably a couple of local Queensland umpires. You know, they're like, oh, sorry, mate, didn't see it. Yeah, too bad. <laughs> Yeah, there were there were lots of shenanigans going on. You know, they the, the same kind of thing happening when they were no balling Jack Marsh out of the game and so on in in the early part of the century. Queenslander was that addressed to me um, as a Queenslander? I um, I can only assume that was addressed <laughs> to me. <laughs> right, next number, next revisit, Anna Collins. £5.66, uh, you were talking about the innings in which Bradman made
0: 3.34 at Leeds in 1930. God, there's been so much Bradman this show. Yeah, uh, well, she she loved it. It was a beauty, and remember, of course, that we were doing 5.66 a second time after going down the wrong route, and I think we sold 4.55 for her accidentally. Well,
1: I put in the wrong number, but someone solved this as well because, because the number I tried to put in was 5.66, and what I put in was 4.55. What a correspondent has pointed out is that Obviously, four is next to five and five is next to six on the keyboard. So, if your fingers were one key wrong when you tried to do 566, you'd end up writing 455 by mistake. And that must be how it happened.
0: Oh, this is like that that autocorrect with Arnt. Well, not really with (laughs) Arnt. I see what's happened here. I see what's happened here. Okay, so... Anna goes on to give us another clue, and her nerd pledge was inspired by the fact that England were back on free-to-air television, so she made the pledge when England, presumably, were playing against India back in February. Some clues are much more obvious when you're watching cricket rather than listening to radio coverage. If you want a clue, the main street of America might help lead you to your answer. So I'm thinking Route 66, Joe Root, mm-hmm where's number 66? Isn't that funny? Hey, hey, Route 66, hey, Route 66.
1: Hey. Well, also that they, um, they they changed the number of the bus in Leeds that goes to Headingley. It's the number 66. <laughs> um, it's,
0: yeah, really? jet, jet, dead set. So that you, it's now Route 66 when you head down to Leeds. I don't mind that. I, I heard Joe Root speaking uh, about county cricket uh, the other day on the BBC Test Match Special podcast. and. He's a man who really loves his cricket. He's so passionate about it from start to finish, from the top top of the pyramid to the bottom and and all the rest. So we all love Joe Root. So I was looking for 566 and Joe Root links and didn't really get very far, really. At one stage, England led by 566 against Australia at Lords in 2013 when Root was on 178. He went on to make 180, though, the next day, so that doesn't Mm -hmm. really work. He averaged 5.66 in youth T20s for England way back when (laughs) um, as well. Uh, And and, and I looked at those double tonnes that he was making around the start of the year that, that Anna may have watched. And th- they didn't quite last 566 minutes. The one at Chennai was 536 minutes, so half, mm. an, half an hour short. So that wasn't quite to be. But that was enough to get you in the right headspace for it.
1: Yeah, well, the 66 had to be Joe Root. The clue about some things being more obvious when you watch it on TV, it obviously, is that you can see the player's shirt number, which you can't hear on the radio but I, so I figured what, whats what 's something that Joe Root has done five times, and something that he did for the fifth time during the first test of that series, the first test back on free to air in fifteen years in England was make a double century Uh, that was his fifth double hundred so there was the unbeaten 200 against Sri Lanka at Lords in 2014 with that innings he was the, the youngest England player since David Gower to make a 200 the great 254 that he made against Pakistan at Old Trafford the 226 at Hamilton and then In three test matches earlier this year, he made 228 at Gaul and then 218 at Chennai. So that was his fifth double hundred. It was five double hundreds for number 66, Joe Root for Anna Collins.
0: That'll be the one I reckon. Next revisit, Joseph Brookshaw 1887 and I'm kind of gutted we didn't get this right. This might be some of their best work in recent times uh, making 1887 work for Simon Jones. The background was that um, Joseph's previous number related to Stephen Harmison's best test figures and we thought well it's going to have to be Simon Jones, who played eighteen Test matches, and there was something else to do with the eighty-seven. He, took, th-
1: he took eighteen wickets in the 05 Ashes, winning the Ashes for the first time since nineteen right. eighty-seven. That's right. That's right. That's right. And I think
0: there was something else for eighty-seven we liked as well. Either way, it was a it was a bloody good answer, but. Not good enough Uh, Joseph goes on to say that he had three favourite bowlers in the mid-2000s So Harmison and Jones were definitely two of those And he loved that we were able to link it through the 2005 Ashes with his number But there was a third who didn't play for England But was just too good for me not to love He's actually been in the news in the past week as he's taking a break from cricket So maybe my last clue wasn't quite right So his last clue was that this particular person was still involved in cricket And I I liked the idea Mm -hmm. that Simon Jones had last year had taken up a position looking at insurance for, for cricketers injuries he finishes by saying coincidentally my first pledge of 619 also works for him uh, and that didn't take me long to realise He must be talking about Shane Bond Who played 18 Test matches And took 87 wickets What a bowler Average mm. just 22 And Jeff, as you know, his strike rate of 38 He's the best in... Well, it's the second best of all time behind George Loman, So that's a, that's the, the first, I suppose, first of the 20th or 21st century To have a strike rate that low Which is fairly remarkable when you consider How many wonderful bowlers have, have been through the Test Arena I suppose he, he was, Jeff thought of as the best seamer since Richard Hadley for a long time. Do you reckon Trent Mm -hmm. Bolt's overtaken him on that measure in the last few years? I don't know. It's a bit of a toss of the coin, isn't it?
1: Probably by body of work. You know, Shane Bond is – he's still more about potential than deliverance because he – you know, not deliverance in the banjo-playing way, delivering, I don't know. He's – it was all about what could have been with yeah. Shane Bond because he was so good when he could get on the park, but he couldn't get on the park that often. And so, yeah, he was the most talented. You know, I, I think that would still stand. But in terms of what Bolt's been able to do over, you know, a
0: decade plus in the game, would. Would, would stand superior to that now So yeah And there was some amazing days So the 6-9 team Was a one day international That he played against India In 2005 But that's after two years Away from the game Which makes it even more impressive I reckon That was when I think he had his back Fused together The same operation That was ultimately recommended To James Pattinson In Christchurch A couple mm-hmm. of years ago So the 2003 World Cup Remember he picked up 6 for 23 Against Australia in In a losing effort He bowled a ball in that tournament against India that was clocked at 156.4 kilometres an hour. So, in a way, not surprising that that stress fractures immediately followed that tournament because he was sending it down so quickly. But he did step up against Australia. He took 44 one-day wickets against their main rival at 15.8, including a hat-trick at Hobart. In 2006, 2007 He averaged just 19 In home test matches Including 8 wickets To to finish his career in, in 2009 That was the only test match He played after Briefly having a, a contract With the Indian Cricket League Which of course Made it tough to To segue back into uh, The international arena But he was able to do that At the very end And noting the fact that he was in the news in the last couple of weeks. He just finished up with the Sydney Thunder as their coach and he's announced that he's going to be taking some time away. But, yes, per Joseph's uh, uh, commentary above, one of the most exciting bowlers to step on the field in that era, one of the quickest and and certainly uh, one of the most talented, Shane Bond, 18, test matches for 87 wickets.
1: Very good. I like it. And another one which you should have got right morally Joe Reinhardt's $4.25, which had to be the 4 for 25 that Mark Higgs took in a tour game.
0: I was so excited um, about that. I thought this was so... You know, his best figures, the mentorship of Lion, you know, the Canberra Comets, the Berendorf thing, it was all kind of there.
1: Mm-hmm. It was so much of it was there. But Joe has said, you know, enjoyed it, liked hearing about Canberra more, should talk about Canberra more. Something that no one's ever said to Adam Collins before. <laughs> Please talk about Canberra more. <laughs> Haven't heard much about Canberra from you lately. What do you think? Is it a good town? Do you like it? Sky <laughs> <laughs> ah, will talk to you about Canberra for. 14 hours straight. Careful what you wish for, Joe. Now, Joe says the pledge relates to cricket in Canberra between last summer's touring team, so between India and the PM's 11. Yes. um, Linking back to uh, oversized shorts, dirty polos and all of the rest of it, the PM's 11. That's um, a, a fond place in our hearts. So something else in a PM's 11 game. What's 4
0: 5 Yeah, I was racking my brains for uh, last year's Tourists and, and the PM's 11. Of course, there was no PM's fixture, so that, that didn't quite add up. But yes, last year's Tourists, being the Indians, did play in a, in a very famous Prime Minister's 11 game back in December of 1999. And it was the very final push that Brett Lee made to get himself in the test team. So he led the attack and took four for 25, thus four twenty five. And that was after the PM's team made 334. Andrew Simons made 100. David Fitzgerald also made a ton. And then his brother Shane Lee was captain and threw him the ball to bowl the first over. Blocker Wilson was opening with him, but Lee just went nuts. He bowled so quickly in that game. I think it was on Optus Vision, I reckon. So we were able to see how quick he was because Brad Haddon was standing so far back and um, he found the outside edge of VVS and Sachin quite early on to the gloves of Haddon and he skittled Ramesh early on too and I think he knocked the middle stump out of the ground. He hit the stumps Mm -hmm. again at the end. It was also very exciting. India were all out for 170 and, yeah, he'd made that statement and, and sure enough, he was picked for Boxing Day and took a five-for-on debut and the rest is history.
1: Indeed, that's the end of the revisit uh, section and the start of Brett Lee's many, many phantom chainsaws. If we haven't got your number right in the first section, we'll do it on the revisits. Drop us a message, let us know, particularly the ones where we definitely didn't get it right because we already knew that we weren't going to. But sometimes we do get them right. Confirmations, uh, some of
0: the ones we did get. Yeah, we have a few here this week. One from Simon Butcher in his 304. Uh, We talked about Stephen Finn's test bowling average of 30.4. Jeff nailed it. Poor old Finney's not had much luck with his knees. Of course, it was in relation to his knee uh, hitting the stumps and that law change or that playing condition change that was uh, made shortly thereafter. He's someone who I always wanted to do well, especially after being labelled unselectable by Ashley Giles back in 2013, I think that was. Maybe it was around the 2015 World Cup. Whatever it was, yes, I remember that. And it was a chastening experience for him. How could it not be? But the good news Mm. is that Finney was picked for Middlesex last week for his second game of the season and and took five for 77. So he's taken a a four-wicket haul and a five-wicket haul in his two matches so far that he's played. And I'm not sure whether he'll play uh, this week. And, you know, uh, spoiler, we're recording this midweek because I'll be working at at Lord's over the weekend. But, yes, he's had his first opportunity with the Red Bull in a couple of years, and and he's taken it so far.
1: Do you think... Do we try to have it both ways? Because we complain about officials being boring and not saying anything, um, and and giving pat answers and all the rest of it, and not being honest. If a player is bowling so badly that they can't be selected, and you say that they can't be selected, then you know, like that's that's something that has been brought up a lot relating to yeah. Steve Finn over the years since that that this was a you know a painful thing and something for uh, like should can you can you criticise Ashley Giles for? Being straight about how it was at the time, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose it's knowing your knowing your bowlers, knowing your players. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a it's an above the shoulder thing. I mean, mm. it, that might work for some guys, I mean, for some players, saying, "Oh, they're unselectable." That might fire them up. But I think we learnt quite a bit a couple of years ago uh, watching the Edge documentary about his personality and. What had happened to him in Australia in the previous tour when he was left out on Boxing Day? And yeah, I mm. think in hindsight uh, that that was a that was something that worked against Finn rather than motivating him to get back into the team. Right.
1: Well, the three hundred four was correct. Cam agains seven twenty three. Uh was also correct in that it was the 7 for 23 that Dennis Lilly took on his most dominant day in World Series cricket against the West Indies. World Series cricket still not as good <laughs> as the gentleman of Philadelphia versus <laughs> the gentleman of wherever else it
0: was that they were playing again. The smoking gentleman of New York or whatever it was. Uh, and yeah, the last... So smokers are non-smokers <laughs> and non-smokers. Uh... And The last one we did get right was from Sam Nemso, albeit with a little bit of help, I must admit. This was my favourite bit of story time. Last week, where Sam said that the six, the zero, and the nine all meant different things. And we knew there'd be a Kent connection. And it was to do with Joe Denley, six half centuries, zero centuries. I said nine years between England caps for Dennis.
1: Another great answer, mind you. Like, this is three absolute ball tearing answers that have been knocked back. You know, starting to feel a little bit aggrieved by. Like, just just humorous Just light it <laughs>
0: Just tell us what we want to hear maybe, maybe so But in a way I'm glad that Sam did uh, Correct the record Because mm-hmm. he goes Amazing so close To get two of the three Bang on But the third one Wasn't the number of years Something else relating to Denley That you mentioned Nine dentries. Remember the dentry? It was the, the cow and ton reimagined. So nine times he faced 100 balls uh, in a test innings. I think Vish and Will uh, were the two who, who started that, and uh, and uh, Rory Dollard and, and Charlie Reynolds as well, who were the Denley guys, and that was the, the catalyst for the Denley meme team, who I'm actually... Writing an essay about for the next Mm -hmm. edition of the Night Watchman, so that's a a bit of a. uh, (laughs) 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 Haven't quite got my teeth into it yet, but that's something I'll be doing in the next couple of months. (laughs)
1: Haven't got your
0: dentures into it. (laughs) (laughs) So nine dentries. So thank you, Sam, for your six oh nine. We finish as always with correspondence. Jeff, The first of those came from Chris Arkle.
1: Yes, Chris Arkell, um, obviously named after Derek Randall's nickname. A final bit on Thomas Hearn, a player from 1868 who we've spent a lot of time on over the last few weeks after our listener Thomas Melia had Cricket Archive change their scorecard that showed Thomas Hearn opening the batting uh, even though he hadn't apparently done so. Chris says, wonderful that uh, Cricket Archive was updated. One final thing. His grandson, Thomas John Hearn, played one match... For Middlesex, he was called in late to take part in a game against the gentlemen of Philadelphia <laughs> at Lords in 1908. Thought you'd like that. As a replacement for his cousin, J.T. Hearn. Uh, so the gentlemen of Philadelphia, no doubt this was a first-class fixture, better than World Series cricket, as they rocked up at Lords to play Middlesex. J.T. Hearn, a proper player who played 12 test matches for England and took 3,000 first-class wickets, wasn't there and so, his cousin T- Jay Hearn had to had to come in and play instead. However, the game was played on a treacherous pitch, says Chris, and finished in a day. Hearn arriving in the late afternoon never took the field, so he's credited with a single first class cap. For a match in which he not only didn't play, but wasn't there for any of the match because he was the late replacement for someone else who was obviously
0: a far better cricketer than him. As soon as I saw that, I knew you were going to love it. It it ticked a lot of boxes for you, didn't it? Status, uh, the Jets of Philadelphia... And a relative of, uh, of Thomas Hearn. Uh, so thank you, Chris two Arkell. Relatives. For, two relatives. The <laughs> grandson
1: and the grandson's cousin. And I hadn't actually read that, but I can tell why you said, oh, you should take the, the first bit of correspondence, you do that one. Because um, there was a little Easter egg in there for me.
0: Yes, there was. Um, a couple. And Chris and Chris Arkle, thank you for allowing us to put a really nice full stop on that conversation that's been going for about four weeks now. The second bit of correspondence is from Alan Simpson. And this is the, hit me with your best shot. Pat Benatar segment That we started last week Mm -hmm. Who sent it Jack Quigley Wanted to know What we thought Was the best shot We've ever seen In our lives And Alan Simpson Enjoyed that And he also enjoyed The fact that To his knowledge Jeff is the first Cricket podcaster To utter the immortal line Can we just come back To venereal disease For a second (laughs) When last week Talking about Wally Hammond's troubles in the mid-twenties. Regarding the best cricket shot of all time, Alan goes on to say, I would like to nominate Albert Trott's lofted straight drive, one of them in particular, of course, the one that goes over the pavilion at Lord's that we've talked about on Storytime in the past. Mm-hmm. Although, if the qualification is that you have to have actually been at the ground to have seen the shot, I may need to get Darren Stevens to nominate it for me. He was on the Lord's Ground stuff then, I believe. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> still got my eyes, I like it I like it I like it <laughs> Very nice thank you Ellen. I think that is a good nomination for you know if you wanted to talk about most famous shots you know maybe that's the most famous cricket shot hitting it over the Lord's Pavilion no one's done it since <laughs> uh, it's a big swing it's a big boy <laughs> the last bit of correspondence from Ross Davy who spotted the potential symmetry between the dare to dream, to a, and the centenary test namely that we could try to lose a match against Dera Ismail Khan or against another team playing as Dera Ismail Khan by the same margin that Dera Ismail Khan lost in 1960 whatever it was 50 whatever it was 1960 4 I, I think it was 64 uh, by an innings and 800 so Ross Davey Remembered the centenary test um, and the fact that the margin was the same as the margin of the test match 100 years earlier. Ross was not at the first test match in 1877, but was at the one in 1977. He says... I went to three days of that test as an 18-year-old uni student. Tony Gregg getting bowled by Max Walker, just about the loudest roar I have ever heard at the G, and I've been at plenty of grand finals. I also remember at lunch on the second day, a few of the old-timers strolled out to the centre wicket. Bradman grabbed a stump and rehearsed an off-drive. I think Bill Vos was there, but I'm not sure about Larwood. It was 44 years ago. Very nice,
0: and he's right. Bill Vos not only did Bill Vos walk out there, he marked his run up out at the at the members' end. It's a lovely bit of uh, footage that you can look up on YouTube where they they take the players out. Because of course, all of them were flying out there, and, and Bill Vose, uh Yeah, still he was a he was a character. So he marked up his run at the MCG one final time in March 1977, and that is the, the final uh, part of story time this week, Jeff. We're done. That's it's it. finished. That's it's all the show. It's been a fun show. Uh, thank you to, I suppose, mostly Jim Sims and the old Wozla. Uh, that was uh, that was a real highlight for mine. Not one we'll forget in a hurry. And to everybody else that gave us a chance to tell a story, if you want to give us the chance to tell a story, do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash the final word. You don't need to issue an elaborate clue. You can you can issue a, an easy clue and let us tell a story for you. That's fine. You don't. Have, it's not. You a, can it's issue not a, no clue. It's not. A, exactly you can just no put clue. a number in. It's not a contest the point is it's not a contest it doesn't it, it doesn't get the show doesn't get any better for us having to uh, interrogate what it might be for 3 or 4 hours if anything yeah. that means that we have less time to tell the story so let that be a prompt but no Uh, It's been lovely having so many people getting on board recently and as they have through the last 13 or 14 months. So patreon.com forward slash the final word. Thank you to the Lord's Taverners and Declan Lawler for the work they're doing at the moment, raising that important money. Thank you to c Superannuation. Visit cbusuper.com.au forward slash the final word to sort out your super. Thank you to everybody who reviews and rates the show, to the team at Bad Producer Productions Network uh, and Dave Collins especially who edits our show Twice a week Thank you Jeff For the work and research You put into Making sure story time Flows as nicely As it does each Saturday And I think That's everybody
1: Arigato Mr Roboto uh, We will see you For the weekly show On Wednesday
0: know what I I had to go about